welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. If you like what you hear today, please rate and review kindly. This show is a series of conversations with educators and learners to try and deconstruct some of the stereotypes around education. If you'd like to know more about me, please visit my Instagram page at EducatingLaura. This is a really exciting episode. It's a conversation that I have with a family of teachers. So I have had the privilege of working with these educators. One, in fact, I taught as a student. And it all began with Rowan, who has been an integral part of the outdoor ed department at the school that he worked at, actually building the subject, as well as life-saving at the school. And then his daughter, Georgia who went to the school, who Roe actually taught, became a teacher at the school and worked alongside him. And then finally his son, Jimmy, started to work at the school alongside him and did a lot of work with the life-saving part of the school. And Roe has now retired and has left his legacy to his children at the school with outdoor ed and life-saving and everything that he sort of created he is now left in the hands of his children and I think that this is a really lovely story about the impact teachers have and it was a really nice conversation for me because in the English and science faculty I didn't have a lot to do with these guys in terms of teaching obviously we chatted and you know had some nice conversations but I never had these really rich and deep conversations with them because we weren't in the same faculty and when you're in a large school, you don't tend to have the opportunity often. So this is a real privilege. And I love that this family of teachers is sharing their story. And it's a really family week, I feel, this week because I'm releasing this episode today and an episode that I have with my mother's group on Friday and all the learning that comes with being a parent. So before I hand it over to this conversation with Ro, Georgia and Jimmy, I would like to do my non-sponsored little business shout out, small business shout out. And this one is to Educational Journeys. So at Educational Journeys, they say that we're passionate about learning through experiential activities and travel. We specialize in bespoke educational tours that will inspire your students and meet the needs of your teaching and learning programs. Educational Journeys takes the time to understand our clients and their learning objectives, offering a more attentive level of service founded on honesty and integrity. We recognize that careful planning and preparation are required to ensure a successful learning experience, which is why Educational Journeys will be with you every step of the way. With over 20 years of industry experience and access to global travel and educational experts, we can promise an easy, hassle-free planning process. With COVID-safe certification, our programs are carefully curated to ensure the safety of all group members. Our programs are all aligned with the Australian curriculum, and we're currently offering domestic programs in Queensland, the Northern Territory, New South Wales and Tasmania. Educational Journeys can also create custom tours Australia-wide for adults and groups of 10 or more. And obviously, with lockdowns in Australia, especially Victoria, these guys need your support. So I'll put all of the information in the show notes. And it's a perfect one, considering we have the Outdoor Ed Department, who could potentially use their services. So here is my conversation with the Outdoor Ed family. Hello, everyone. How are you going? Pretty good. Good, thank you. 
<laughs> so I thought I'd start with the first question, which is how would you describe yourselves as learners? Rowan, would you like to start? I guess a lifelong learner, there you go, in, in a simple fashion. So what does that mean? What does that look like to be a lifelong learner? Well, it just never stops even now, even though I'm, um, I'm, I'm finished from school and so forth, from teaching and a career in teaching, I'm, I still feel like there's lots and lots to learn. Um, and, and I guess you just keep looking for opportunities in, in that learning field. What about you, Jimmy? Uh, I'd like to think that I'm continually changing and looking for looking for different different things that will interest me. And once something gets that gets my attention, that's when I'm uh, motivated to learn. Yeah, so I'd say continually changing for myself. What sort of things get your attention? Probably more of a hands-on learner. So mm-hmm. if I'm actually actively writing note, writing a note down, or if I'm engaged in a presentation, so if, if I can actually get someone to get, gain my attention, interest interest me in a in a topic, then I'm more likely to uh, it's more likely to to stick with me, I suppose. Mm. What about you, Georgia? I'm just really hardworking and like a, a dedicated, conscientious learner. I, I guess at school, when I think about myself as a student, I was a I was a bit of a nerd and. When I was set a task, I'd be working pretty hard to achieve that. And even as a teacher, I guess I'm the same. I work hard and things, and I'm not. I don't think that things come really easily and naturally to me. So I have to work hard. And yeah, that's just something that fits now into my into my life. Yeah. So for each of you, what's the most inspiring way for you to learn, and what's the most inspiring content for you to learn? Well, for, for me, and going on from that, I, I guess. I sort of look at myself, I'm a bit like Jimmy, I guess. I'm a hands-on, a practical sort of learner, learn from doing stuff. <clears throat> and uh, particularly if, if I have got a something like a new environment or, or a, a really big challenge, that, that's you know, when learning gets uh, at, you know, at a high level, I guess, for me personally. And it's got to be something I can see as relevant, useful, or even novel, you know, something that's um, just a bit quirky. That's what, that's what grabs me. So what doesn't grab you then? What's something that you feel is not particularly uh, engaging at all? Sitting in a staff meeting, probably something like that, where where most of most of the, the material that's sort of uh, there is just not relevant to my general general day's work or whatever, and that's that's where I have trouble when it's, uh, I can't sort of get the connection there. So. Yeah, I do remember being late once or twice in a staff meeting, right? <laughs> Once or twice. <laughs> yeah, well, I did take. I did miss More. staff meetings for a good while. I did miss them for about a oh, ten-year period. I disappeared. Yeah. I reckon, in fairness, they are a bit more hands-on at the moment. I think they're pretty good peer, almost review peer planning sessions now. From what I've, from when I, what I've seen since um, I've come to the school, and um, I suppose that's been pretty different to my previous school, where it was it was probably more what you were talking about before. Seeing it was more of a lecture style, which I know for me that's not that's not better. my uh, strong suit in learning is sitting there, sitting there and trying trying to listen. Like I said I know I said before taking notes, but I'd say that's uh, the lecture style is it certainly didn't work for me. Is that what you was, is that what you were saying before, senior? Yeah, it is really, it is. It's um, you're on the money, uh, and and I guess over the journey it has changed a bit, and I'm I'm probably badly scarred from. You know, 40 years, the early 40, the first part of the 40 years of, yeah. um, of teaching. And it definitely has in, 
it has improved and there's a d deliberate attempt to do that stuff to make stuff more meaningful and, and to some extent jimmy's right it, it has improved but it is hard to make things very specifically relevant all the time i, I understand that as well and it's such a funny thing to me i always think about how i was taught to teach at university and it yeah. was literally me sitting in a lecture theater someone talking at me telling me how to teach but not actually showing me i don't know if you had the same experience <laughs> yeah you always, you always just hark back to, I don't know, a court um, with a lecture theatre, I think it was AB 100 or whatever, but there was 100 of us all sitting in there being lectured to about anatomy and it was incredibly boring. Mm. What about you, Georgia? How has that experience for you? There's been a lot spoken about, but <laughs> one. Um, in terms of the original question being when I learned mm. best is, is, so, is fairly on the money with what these guys have said. I mean, I learn best when I find what I'm learning about meaningful and I can see it to be useful in my life. And and it, it is a staff meeting is a pretty hard example when you've got everyone teaching different things and to bring everyone together and make it, yeah, to make it a meaningful is um, difficult. But, yeah. Yeah. I actually signed up for this and you would be aware of it. It was a, it was a computer, big computer around Australia seminar on at the month it's just been on i think it was monday and tuesday all day and i actually and i actually tuned into a couple of their, their sort of like podcasts yeah and i must admit I, I really did struggle i just sat through them i thought i'll listen to them they're sort of making all the it material making <laughs> trying to make it relevant you know to how the world's changing and what we've been through with uh, COVID and how it saved the day and all this sort of gear so i, I it was interesting but I did struggle, I must admit. Why did you tune into that, Rowan, if that wasn't something that was interesting to you? Well, I'm trying to better my, I'm just trying to enlighten myself to see how the world, how IT is going to, to be such an important player going forward in, in education. He's trying to learn. See, I'm still trying. <laughs> but that medium was hard for you to learn. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it was just a I, – I didn't – I mean, I, I should be careful, but I, I just found – a lot of the lecture is not that inspiring. A lot of the speakers not that inspiring either, mm. and, and they didn't really bring it to life. I find IT though, unless I've actually got a computer in front of me and I'm doing what they're saying, it's irrelevant. Like I actually have to be physically doing it, yeah. otherwise IT is just too far fetched for me. Hundred percent, there. You have to be. You have to be utilizing. It. I have no regrets because I could just pop in every year or so. I just pop another one on and I'm having a coffee or whatever, and have a bit of a listen, pick something out, live listening. I'd tune in and then. Offered to switch it off again and come back a couple of hours later, but yeah, it didn't really. It was meant to be a big thing, but anyway. <laughs> I've never heard of it. I don't, actually, there you go. I don't know what you're talking about. Do you guys know what he's talking about? I'm not sure what he's talking about. No, I don't know what he's talking about either, but we often don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> would have liked to, how would you have made your IT presentation um, interactive in the online world then, Senior? You, th you, think, you don't think it was possible for them? No, I just didn't find... Well, you just didn't find, find it engaging at all? Particularly engaging. But, but this was just for all the IT people. They were just... Why were you doing that, Dad? Just because I, I thought it might be good for my Vic Teach. Oh, yeah, like registration, teacher's registration. VIT. I thought I could just throw that one in there. Because, see, I, I don't get to do much stuff now. So I just thought I could tick the box. PD. Anyway. Rowan, I'm going to start with you. Why did you decide to become a teacher? It's a, it's a tricky one because I decided to become a teacher back when I was in about year 11. So and what year I, and, is this? Uh, give me a time frame. <laughs> oh, crikey. 
so I was back in about nineteen. So nineteen back, back way back in about nineteen sixty nine or nineteen seventy somewhere around there, but that it was yeah when I was doing year eleven and I just for some reason I decided to want to be a PE teacher and, and it's a it's a strange one because I hadn't had PE since year eight we didn't have a teacher, oh so I, that's why I, I struggled to even think why I wanted to because you think of inspirational models and I had a good PE teacher in year seven I had one who wasn't even trained in year eight and then we never had PE again all the way I never had PE again all the way through secondary school and yet in year 11 I desperately wanted to be a PE teacher that was what I decided was going to be my vocation and I lived out on a farm and you hadn't even done PE as a subject no and I hadn't even and really I didn't even get an opportunity really to play sport as a kid because I lived out on a farm and we, we didn't go and play weekend sports so I don't even know why. It's a hard one. That's an inspiring answer. But I desperately wanted to do it. Yeah, so you just knew. Yeah, I just knew. And I, and I even changed schools so that I could, I was at a tech school, I changed to a high school because at that time you couldn't be a, a teacher or a PE teacher from uh, a tech school. So I changed over from year 11 to year 12. So there you go. There you go. And what about you, Georgia? Was it because your dad was a teacher or was there another reason? I think that played a big role, a big part in my decision-making of why I wanted to become a teacher. But dad, along with a lot of other teachers that I had, I was, I was fortunate enough to go to the same school as a student that I now work at and a lot of those teachers are still there and they were huge um, role models in my life and, and, I, and I guess I yeah, always looked up to them and, and dad and then, yeah, obviously my interest for teaching kind of stemmed from that 100%. Mm. What about you, Jimmy? I'd say I probably actually tried to fight it to get away from, um, to get away from oh, really? teaching. When I was really young, I wanted to be a teacher and then probably towards the end of high school, I decided I wanted to do some different things just because I didn't want to be following down the exact same footpaths. But um, yeah. after a year off, um, I did a summer camp over in America and it caught my interest just working with working with young, well, it was just younger younger kids on the camp and interacting with them in the outdoors. And I don't know, I found a good sense of achievement out of doing that. So that was probably what ended up pushing me back into that path along with a couple of good mm. uh, year 12 teachers, I'd say. Yeah. So what would you have done? What were the interests that you had to avoid the teaching route? Uh, complete opposite. I was going to, I started studying um, commerce business, which oh, really? lasted about, it was about two weeks. I got out before the defer, defer date and opted to go to America. Yeah, But that was because you had a good business teacher at school. Like you were interested in that because of that connection as well. Yeah. Yeah. That would be fair. That'd be a fair, fair call. And um, my other sister, the other the middle sister was going down that path. What did you think business was going to be, though? What did I think it was? Hmm. I was hoping to get down into sports, sports management, sports oh, yeah. bits, some some sort of area within sports management, sports events, that sort of thing. And basically, the first two weeks of lectures probably didn't sign up to the right units, yeah. and it was just all about accounting and yeah. <laughs> and um, Excel spreadsheets and that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah. So. Yeah, I found a bit of boredom straight away. Yeah. I can't imagine you <laughs> being in an office. I just can't imagine it. I'd just see you outside. Yeah, no, I'm pretty glad I didn't go down that exact mm. path in the end, that's yeah. for sure. All right, Rowan, this next question is for yeah. you. How did you find, so from 1970, you decided you'd like to become a teacher. How have you seen teaching and education change 
through your career? Well, I, I guess in the early days, it, and, and that's even me going back to school, it was just very much content-based. You just learned stuff and that's what you did. But over this yep. period of time, it's just changed more and or it's evolved into more problem-solving and, 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 and probably more lately and particularly where I've been, it's become more in this creative and critical thinking. I guess that's the bit that I, that I really enjoy. And I think a lot of your teaching just changes as a result of you just maturing but you're, and as you evolve as a person and a teacher. And, and it's a bit of a combination of, you know, some of the creative and critical thinking and the, and the curriculum that leads you along that way. But it's also just you maturing and evolving as a person because you know, when you start off, you're... Um, you're just doing everything, but you're becoming, as you're getting older, you're becoming, uh, in, you're more interested, becoming more interested in shaping attitudes and more in mentoring people. And it sort of becomes less hands on. So your, your whole style of teaching changes along with that. So it's this combination of things that lead you on that path there. Mm. So you're saying at the beginning it was very, very content based, maybe yeah. you're disseminating information. And then over time, it became much more about facilitating the learning for others and helping them on their yeah. journey. Yeah, and setting challenges for kids and, and not really worrying whether they just learn these exact skills. I mean, when you started in the early days, you you just had to, whether it was a practical subject or, or not, you just you wanted to teach them these particular skills, skill set stuff, and that was it. Uh, and, and, and if they got, if they, they get that skill, then they've done well and so forth. But I, I just said more about problem solving and setting problems that, that make people that makes students become better people and um, and puts them in a better position to, to solve problems and, and so forth going forward. Did you see that shift because of yourself or did you see that shift in the curriculum? Well, I think it's both. I think you'd, you know, people can just say that you know, our curriculum's changed enormously, but when you think back, you, you know that you have changed a lot. You think back to what you were when you were 20 and then you think what you are at 60, you're, you're an entirely different person. And so we'll take your word for it, right? Yeah, you are. Yeah, we wouldn't Trust know. Trust me. But then you, you'd, and you'd want to be. Yeah. It's just going to happen regardless, but all your experiences are going to lead you along that way. Part of those experiences, of mm. course, are, you know, doing your curriculum days and so forth and, and the, the focus of the school you're at is going to help change that as well. Yeah. Speaking of which, so you were really a big pioneer for outdoor ed at your school, weren't you? So can you tell me the process of that and why you wanted to bring outdoor ed in such a strong way to the school? Well, when I first got there, it was actually a subject called rec studies. That's what it was. It was it was called recreational studies, so, which meant that you just did this splattering of things. And, that, and back in the day, that's what outdoor ed sort of was. It was, and it changed to outdoor ed and environmental. Um, mm. and, and I guess that was grabbed you know, by the new wave of people coming through to, to make it uh, so, so that it, it it could gain more educational credibility, I guess, rather than just kids running around doing all these multitude of activities. So mm. that over a period of time, it, it did morph into from being rec studies to having this environmental content. And then the newer teachers came along. They really pushed very much more, including Georgia, obviously, uh, pushing the environmental aspect and lifting it to new heights. So... Yeah, it has been a big journey watching it change from that rec studies and sort of overseeing, I guess, and then watching it and, and, and then seeing what uh, George is doing with it now. It just keeps lurching forward. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty satisfying thing. 
but that was your baby, right? Like you were the head of Outdoor Ed for a really long time. How many years was it? Something like 20 years, yeah. Yeah, right. And so how is that now to see your children taking that on? Yeah, pretty good because, you know, as, as you roll along there, you, numerically you're going to, your, your time's running out. So it's pretty satisfying to see or to know that it's in really good hands. And, and we were pretty lucky because I had... Georgia certainly have been doing teaching rounds there, so she uh, had a pretty th- similar thought process in a lot of ways, obviously different in others, but we had a similar focus and going forward. So there was a pretty good transitional period. I was still coordinator for a while, and then in the last year that I was there, she took over coordinator, which was a, a good transitional thing. Mm. What was it like, Jimmy and Georgia, to be students at the school that your dad taught at and was quite well known at? For me, it was pretty good. I mean, he was a reasonably well-liked uh, teacher, so there was never too many issues with other with other students. It was probably more of a more in respect to fellow teachers and having that power over you where they could just straight away refer to the, a parent. True. I know it would be nice in certain situations to be able to refer to a parent. And um, I remember yep. yourself at one stage pulling me, me? into the main staff room. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I remember, well, Senior pulled me in from outside. I'd had a, must have been a bit of a, a rat bag one afternoon. I remember <laughs> Senior pulling me in. And I don't remember, I don't remember you saying too much, but um, I remember being pretty pretty uh, torn up by that one in, in front of all the wow in front of all the other staff oh, in the middle of the I staff didn't even know this. So first of all, <laughs> can I clarify? When I had Jimmy, it was Year 9 English and it was my very first year. I was 23, Jimmy, if you can think about that. I was 23. <laughs> yeah. so I don't even remember this. What happened? Victorian uh, story time. So I had Laura as a Year 9 English teacher and one afternoon we must have messed around a little bit. Been up to just a little bit of mischief. I don't think it would have been too... I don't think it would have been too severe, but probably got made into something more severe. No, I don't remember your class being that bad. No, I don't think it would have been. But year nine, probably Friday yeah. afternoon or something like that. And um, I remember Senior pulling me in from uh, while well, I was just sitting sitting outside the window, pulling me into the main staff room and uh, felt what felt like getting grilled in front of a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of wow. passing by teachers who... Who uh, I didn't want to I didn't want to disrespect them either. So um, I remember that being a pretty good a pretty good lesson to just make sure I was on, yeah. on good behaviour in the school. So in terms of uh, having him as a teacher, it was um, it was probably good yeah. for behaviour. What about you, Georgia? I have to agree. We didn't get away with anything. Sorry, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I was done. Fifteen years later or something. <laughs> yeah, he's still remembering it. He's reliving it daily. One thing about having Dad as a, a, at the school is, like, there was no secrets. Dad seemed to know a lot and must have talked to a lot more staff then than he does now or recently because he seemed to have – he seemed to know what was happening across the board. But really, like, yeah, Dad was pretty well liked and I even had him as a teacher. Did you have him as an actual teacher, James? Yeah, I had him in year 10 as well, yeah. actual teacher. In, yeah. I had him in year 11 as um, my outdoor ed teacher and, yeah, it was, it was good fun. It was, um, yeah, it probably, in all honesty, it was a, probably a, a good opportunity for all of us to, to do more with Dad and we always had common common interests and common ground and lots of dinner table conversations and, yeah, same as our, our sister who also had Dad as a teacher. There was plenty to talk about. Yeah. yeah. 
How was it like actually teaching us? Yeah. No, it was good fun. I actually looked forward to it all. It was um, it's just a, I just felt like I was the luckiest guy around in a way. I was able to you know spend all that time with you know, with my kids, each of you, and, and I got to do it with each one of you. And the, the, each one of you has had a year teaching outdoor ed with you, so I thought I felt I was pretty lucky just to be able to share all those experiences with you and, and share with your mates. That so was pretty good fun. So what's the legacy that your dad's left you at the school? I suppose it's taken two of us to fill it up. But Georgia, do you want to get you want to talk first, George? Okay. Well, I've seen for the last eight years or so how hard dad had and has worked at his job over the long time that he has had it and been a big played a big part in kind of building it up in in its final the final years together. So yeah, I, I reckon I, I feel now probably a little bit of pressure in keeping high standards and keeping things moving forward because that's the thing with education. Everything's changing all the time and especially in outdoor ed. Like at the moment we're like changing all of our risk assessments and um, paperwork and then now we've got COVID waivers, you know, so there's always something to think about yeah. and things to improve and change and and Dad was always on the, on that and I could just focus on teaching and especially that the year 12 stuff and now I'm trying to be more across the board and um as James just kind of alluded to like it has taken both of us because James does the life-saving side of the role that dad had and I've taken on more the outdoor ed side of it mm. yeah so there is a big legacy it's a huge program one of the leading programs in the state it's there's a lot to look after mm. And what about you, Jimmy? How do you feel about it all? Yeah, I'd say I'd say the same sort of as what George said in terms of uh, a little bit of pressure or just responsibility to make sure that the program keeps moving forward. Because um, I'll sort of sort of sort of, sort of taken over the life saving program from him this this year. Just tailed on to a bit of the work that he was doing at the end of last year, and um, probably taking it on this year just realising the ex- the amount of work that he actually did put in behind the doors, mm. what seemed like sometimes yeah. he was, it might seem from the outside that he, he had been coasting, but behind the scenes is actually a fair bit of work that, that goes into it. And I sort of found um, just trying to keep the program moving forward, as George has said, and just that sense of responsibility. Just when you think you've got a, if you think you've got a good thing going, and then that's, pretty much the time when it's, it's going to drop off again. I mean, if you're not constantly trying to pick up or, or improve mm. or sort of market what you're doing or whatever, then you start going backwards again. And, and, and I know Georgia and Jimmy are onto it. And, you know, you, you, you think you've got a, a good life-saving program or whatever. And, you know, if you're not sort of trying to think of innovative ways of making something new happen. So it's, it is a constant battle the whole way, but an exciting mm. one. And I think, too, outdoor would keep you so busy with all of the protocols, though, too, like, you know, making sure that you're getting for all the excursions, the amount of responsibility, what you've got to take, what you've got to buy, what you've got to ensure the kids are doing. I mean, even that alone would be so much effort and work all the time, let alone the development of curriculum. There's so many, there's so much to think about, the to-do list on top of to-do list. So, yeah, it's a lot always to be um, on top of. Yeah, and especially I feel as we have mm. progressed and got gone along the paperwork side of it and as it should the the risk side of it risk assessments informed consent things like that the communication with parents and um school councils and yeah mm. it's just huge paperwork is out of control now <laughs> so much 
out of control, but yeah. trying to, we're tr- it's trying to cre- yeah. yeah create a process yeah. that works for everyone. And- no, I hundred percent agree. I know, I just notice having now retired, you just think, wow, all that, that, that time. It's just a constancy of it. You're constantly. We don't need to teach maybe you know one or two outdoor ed classes because it's just that that onerous and that busy trying to do it all. You just can't really do much more. And I know when I was teaching an outdoor ed and a couple of sorry a couple of outdoor ed and and life saving, which meant you're sort of out of the school three times a week. That's a lot to organise every week. I found. So how would you each describe yourself as teachers? I try to be a relatable teacher. I really uh, have worked on over my time as a young teacher working on those relationships with kids and then now um, coming back as I feel more probably maybe, I don't know, am I middle age? I don't know, whatever. As I'm, <laughs> I'm losing that age uh, connection with, with yeah. students, I'm trying to connect with them in different ways. And so I've always tried to build those relationships. So now just trying to work on it in a different way. But I guess, and as well, you ask what type of teacher I, I go back to what type of learner am I? I'm a hardworking teacher. I really have tried to constantly trying to improve and, yeah, I'll leave it there. Yeah, I'd say I'd like to say, I'd probably say I'm um, try to be relatable, sort of along the same lines as what Georgia was saying. And I'd like to think, but I've got a stubborn personality, but I'd like to think that um, I'm ever-changing and trying to, trying to learn off uh, peer teachers. So learning off some of the senior teachers at the school I'm currently at in comparison to previous school where I was probably the most uh, qualified peer teacher at the school. So I sort of had to drive things myself coming out as a first year teacher. So that was a bit of a struggle. And it's been nice to be able to come back to a school where there's there's opportunities to observe and pick up new ideas and new, um, yeah, innovative, innovative ideas, I suppose. You like to work with other teachers? Yeah. I'd say that's probably what's helped me develop the most in the last um, in in the last year. Yeah. What about you, Ro? I guess some of the things I thought about was I thought I, I sort of might come across as casual, but I sort of we always like to think I'm considered, and I always like to teach with a theme. Every time I go in, every lesson I would teach, I would have a theme, and it might be a longer theme, it might be a day theme, or it might be a week theme, whatever. It might be a term theme, and try to make it relevant as much as I can to life. And also I like to think that. A lot of teaching, or I like, but I, I think I do a lot of teaching through storytelling. So that's another way. But I also um, I think I would be um, mm. a little bit unpredictable. So I, I just don't like to be doing, so they just people just get to know you and know you and know you and, and then just drift off from you. So become a little bit unpredictable. And, and, and tapping into George's point that you, that you want to be relatable and it is easy when you're young, not Jimmy's age and, and younger, it's easy to be relatable, but as you get older, it gets harder, as you both you the girls are alluding to. Mm. And so what you start to do as you get older, you, you yeah. start to use the younger people to, to be your link, just like coaches do in footy. So you they become your link to the young, and, and the kids accept you way more that way mm. because you just can't relate so directly. So you've got to do it through a conduit, and, that's, and that works quite, and it has worked quite well. And, and having trainees at school is a brilliant way of doing it because you're just in touch all the time and kids are amazed at what you know, yeah. so I, I think. I, I like to um, consider mm. when I'm teaching. It just goes to show, though, that everyone has a place. Like, 
you know, if you're senior, then you have perhaps a bit more knowledge yeah. and wisdom. But as a younger person, you have much more of a finger on the pulse and you can relate more to the kids. And everyone has yes, something so 100%. much to offer, no matter your 100%. experience and, and where you fit within a system, I think. But mm. it's about remembering your place and knowing knowing that you do have a place. So that's a really important uh, lesson to the teachers to remember as well. Can you elaborate on that? You do have a place and you there's different ways that we can all that we can all benefit students and that we can yeah. all do our job, but it's remembering those different ways are all okay and they're all warranted and needed. Well yeah, it's that idea that if you're young it doesn't mean you don't have something to contribute and if you're old it doesn't or older or more experience yep. and doesn't mean that you can't learn from someone younger. Well, I'm just thinking that it, right? That's kind of what you're saying. You're just so lucky to have as an yeah. older person, yeah. you you're just so wrapped to yeah. have younger people around. And I know over the journey I, I would try to have at least a couple of student teachers every year. I, I would just love having a student teacher because they you, you always learn something off them. Yeah. They, they will bring something new to the table, which is which is fantastic, I think. It's like a mini inserted. But Dad, you're a little bit different because Dad was like he said before, he had the AFL trainees and they do help connect to the to younger staff even as well as students. But there's a lot of older staff that don't communicate and well with younger staff and it's very segregated. It's that's a shame that there there's not those learning opportunities happening. It's important for younger staff in that in terms of that too. Just trying to discard discard senior staff and not thinking that they've got anything to offer. So I know that I've learned probably more more since I've been closely observing senior staff members in comparison to when I was getting lectures at university. So just oh, being yeah. at both I'd say both sides being able to recognise that's hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I think that that's an interesting perspective you have, Rowan. I actually don't know if everybody thinks that student teachers are beneficial. I think a lot of people see student teachers as extra work, but I do think that it is an important perspective. Oh, they're, so, they're just so good. I, I miss them. They've been good for company, but they're just good for um, – they're just good. They, they uh, inspire you. You're going to learn something from them. They're going to bring something to the table. There's always something positive to get out of a student teacher. And um, I, th I think you should be trying to put something back in as well. And that's just, as you get older, you want to do that. So it's another mentoring role for you, I think. And I'd, I'd love to be yeah. mentoring them all the time. And I think they need it. That's Unfortunately, I think they get a bit dumped. Well, I think it can be hard. You know, often they're trying to find places for people that potentially yeah. don't want a student teacher. And so teachers get student teachers when they're not really in the position or in the mindset to even have one. Yeah, I know that, that is the case, but great opportunity missed, I think. At the end of the year, what do you hope your students take away from being in your classes? Take it away, senior. I think that, yeah. I, well, okay, I think, yeah. like to think that they've got better values, that, that they're more engaged with with life and just with learning generally, not just your subject, but, uh, but generally. I, I'd like to think that they're better citizens, better people, more community-minded. Uh, they're more enlightened with the world. Uh, they've got a positive attitude to the environment and the world. And they think more about the world itself. You'd, I'd like to also to think that they've got a, a healthy attitude to fitness. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, you talk of creative and critical thinking, maybe, you know, that, that's that's all so part of so they're able to analyse stuff as well. But that's what I, and it's their simple values, really. It's more value-orientated than anything because if they've got those good values, the rest of it becomes pretty easy anyway from, from my way of thinking. Mm. What about you, Georgia? Dad's really got me um, over the last couple of years thinking a lot about these values and um, especially as a faculty in Outdoor Ed, we've really pushed that as a bit of a theme 
and really trying to get kids to show respect and gratefulness. And that's been huge in our direct. Kids mostly won't leave the class without saying thank you for the lesson. And and then at the start of the, the term, it's about, you know, kind of teaching them why and, and the fact that we would expect it. And then by the end of the term, semester, year, they want to, they yeah, they they're really appreciative. And um so and it's not just to their teachers, but to staff that you meet along the way out in prac or whatever so and other staff across the school so it has that's been a huge thing for me to kind of take into my teaching and it's definitely something that I like to focus on with students I don't I'd hate to think that all I've imparted to kids throughout a year is or a semester is um content but I guess the other only the other thing that I'm passionate about that I hope that comes across in my teaching is a passion for the environment and the natural world around us and yeah so that's something else that I would especially in my out-thread classes that I hope kids go away with. Yeah what about you Jimmy? These two have done a really great job in in making sure students in outdoor ed will come up and show appreciation at the end of lessons and that sort of thing and it, it is something that I would I hope that I can bring across to other subjects that I teach, but it's certainly ingrained in the, in that subject, probably in life saving as well, and probably due to common denominator there. So yeah. that is and that's just value that over over a lot of things. But I mean, curriculum, of course, you're hoping you get your curriculum messages across. And the other thing I'd hope is that I'm giving students an access to lifelong physical activity. Hopefully, um, give them an avenue that they can find interesting, engaging and and that they can follow outside of school. Do you feel, I mean, obviously Georgia, Roe and I have been teaching a little bit longer, Jimmy, do you feel as though curriculum is really intense in terms of having to deliver that curriculum or are you sort of moving away from that now to see how the curriculum can serve other purposes? In terms of looking for different avenues that you could bend the curriculum? Yeah, or like rather than teaching the, the curriculum explicitly and ensuring that they're ready for an assessment, that you can actually look at the broader way in which curriculum can teach some of these big themes and morals and values. Um, yeah, well, I mean, in terms of teaching PE, a lot of the values that come up in, in PE throughout my everyday life, just in terms of mm. the lessons of winning and losing or, as I said before, like the ability to gain access to the National Physical Activity Guidelines, which I believe have a strong strong connection with just physical and mental health across um, just a broader avenue. So, I mean, that's probably my main passion and hoping that I can pass that yeah. on. So I don't think yeah. in terms of PE, I don't think I have to, bend, have to look too far into the curriculum to be able to work, work towards that, I suppose. I find, especially at BC, the curriculum is so specific and you have to make sure you hit all the key dot points and everything that sometimes it can be difficult to look at those big values because you're so ingrained in the curriculum. And oh, out. I got you. To, I've been lucky in that outdoor ed is very, it's actually a, quite a small course. There's room for discussion, and there's and we have a lot of it, and we and there's room for um, practical experiences, obviously. And in those practical experiences, that's when these these types of values um, especially become, yeah, uh, really core core to what what we're doing outside of the school. And I'm always talking to kids, you know, about the fact that that we should be proud to to be from where we're from and that they're out you know representing the, the school and and us as a group and I guess outdoor ed's got a bit room, more room to to move with those 
Well, yeah. Yeah. There's conversations outside the curriculum. How can how do you compare that to teaching your 12 psych then? It's so different. There's room in any classroom for those types of discussions and and those those conversations to happen. I think, yeah, psych and outdoor ed are like really polar opposites and yeah, I would say I would say yeah. it's, it's much easier to build into outdoor ed than psychology. Yeah. Yeah, because it's so content-driven. Just going on from where George is finishing and so forth there. Please. And I I think we're pretty lucky in uh, outdoor ed where we really have like a three-year journey. So when you look at Mm. what you hope to achieve or what you hope what you hope to happen, um, you know, at the end of the year and so forth. Well, it's a it's a pretty nice thing to go on. I say on a year of VCE three and four camp, and you know you've had those kids way back in in year nine and so three years later you're looking at these kids and and then you're seeing it's and it's just with a lot of pride and so forth you you see where these kids have got to in a whole lot of different ways and it's not only that it's the fact that the faculty was all on the exact same page so with teachers pushing the same values and agenda yeah kids get the message and yeah it's very unique that's such a privilege isn't it to be able to have those same group of kids work with the same tight-knit colleagues it really is such a privilege to be able to do it that way yeah and not only that like you've got you you all going on each other's camps so like i might not teach those kids till they're in year 11 but i know them in year nine from going on say dad's camp with them you know so and then that same thing comes across say in life-saving, where I've been running a lawn camp for about 20 years, I think it is, something like that or more. But then, again, you might have a kid there that you've had, they're just signing uh, for their uh, sixth camp. So, again, you've seen this huge uh, change in a kid. Mm. It's a similar journey thing that you have in outdoor ed. It's a pretty neat sort of journey to be you know, to have shared with a kid you know, and, and over that whole period of time. And Not only that, in, life, in life-saving, sorry to yeah, interrupt, but they're... They're seeing the senior kids as role yeah. models as well. So those year sevens, year eights, yeah. are watching these older kids, you know, in the way that they're behaving, yeah. and and you know, it's, it just it just gets passed down, passed down. And you have a whole tribe of ex students yeah. come back every year as well, and especially in both, but actually both life saving yeah, and outdoor yeah. ed, past students play a huge yeah. role in assisting those programs. So the the current students learn a lot from and them. And then, then you go on and see that the, their next their, their next yeah, development, whether, whether it be in life-saving, you, you see them, you know, becoming professional lifeguards or you see them do, do some dramatic rescue, which we had just the other day. So, you know, uh, one of our senior kids who had been in our program for six years has gone and pulled off this amazing rescue and, you know, saved with him and his um, brother, saved, you know, three lives. But that, that type of thing. But, but you'll see something in a fashion yeah. similar with your outdoor ed, not necessarily rescuing people, but just how they've progressed on and what they're doing in life. Mm. Did you have something to add, Jimmy? No, I was just going to I was just gonna actually um, agree with them. I think it's just so powerful for the younger kids to be able to see the older kids and just aspire to work towards where they can see, you know, the, the, the way Senior would talk about them or Georgia would talk about them or myself would talk about the older kids. And then you can see, see the younger kids looking just along enviously about, you know, one day they want that to be them sort of thing, which is such a strong thing for the community, like the life-saving community. I'm thinking about it too from an English perspective, right? Like, you know, I teach a kid to write an essay in year seven. They don't know what that essay is going to look like in year 12. They have no direct modelling and I have to sort of fill in the gaps and it's all done so privately because you don't get to see anyone else's work. You don't really get to see 
the process. You kind of just have to plot along. But for you guys, it's there. You can see exactly where you're headed and you know if you're in a if you're in or you're oh, out. Yeah. It's insanely powerful, really. You know, and if you're in, you know what it's going to look like. And so I can see that that would create such investment in the kids. Even the, as they said before, the student, the ex-students that come back and they can see that there's actually a career yeah. that you can follow, yeah, for example. that's big. We had one of the students on our rock climbing trip last year helping belaying, and he's obviously getting paid paid to do that. The, you know, the kids mm-hmm. that can actually see that that's an avenue or a path that you can potentially take going yeah. down the outdoor road avenue. Yeah, whereas I'm teaching an essay and they're like, what do I use this for? Yeah. It is a benefit of outdoor ed. It's got such real life connections, you know. But yeah. So does English. Yeah. Yeah. So does maths. But it's just more <laughs> obvious, you know. It's just more obvious. But at the same time, like I'm, I'm just really interested in the fact that your curriculum is so small in terms of a course, which means that you have so much more opportunity to make it as relevant as possible to the group that you have in front of you. And I think that so many subjects are so, so content-driven that you're always trying to dot your I's and cross your T's that there's no flexibility. And so I'm just, I'm a little envious, actually, if I'm listening to you guys talk. That's what kept me going for so long. Yeah, yeah I, I remember when I was teaching psych versus outdoor ed and the speed yeah. I had to teach psychology and the amount of homework I'd have to set. And it was just, it was constant. And then I'd miss a few classes because I was away on, say, an outdoor ed camp and it was insane to try and catch yeah. them up. Whereas outdoor ed, yeah, it's just a much nicer course. <laughs> yeah. Over your teaching period, what is something that you're really, really proud of achieving? I can just speak in just in general terms, I guess, but I, I'm just, I guess I'm proud of the life-saving program and where it's got to. And then as a result of that, I, I, I think then, and, you, and you don't have to pat yourself on the back. It's just an intrinsic thing. When you see a kid do something really special as a, using those skills and, and skill set and so forth, and yeah, you know, whether it be pull off a big rescue or, or do something like that, that, that to me is is really powerful you become very obviously very proud of that and i am very proud of the outdoor program and and where it's got to i guess and 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 the fact that you know continued in you know really really good hands so i'm I'm, you know i'm proud of that as well but i know it's sort of keeps on growing the whole time it will keep getting better and better what about you georgia dad's got a lot of uh lot of years to be proud of we don't which James and I don't have that those many that many experiences to draw upon but I guess um I am I'm proud of of some of the results that I've got in my year 12 classes that I've taught I'm as much as I don't like to focus on data and and that kind of thing I am proud that those kids got the results that they deserved and I'm also really proud of some of the friendships and relationships that I've formed with students that are now ex students have come back and have helped us build program even even further so yeah I'm, I'm proud of that too yeah what about you Jimmy um, my teaching journey obviously even shorter so um, how long have you been teaching for now my four, uh, fourth year yeah yeah so pretty short pretty big <laughs> my time up in Queensland would uh, at the moment have given me the most highlights in terms of my teaching career but I'd, I'd like to hope that I'd be able to create some great memories at school I'm currently at, but just be able to provide opportunities for students and, and make what I think were meaningful relationships um, at my at my previous school with ex-students getting in touch with me and, and letting me know that they appreciated some of the time and effort I put in and that sort of thing. So that's probably been the highlight for me. 
it's so nice, isn't it, to get that feedback? I should just make one comment that I didn't say, but I should have. Yeah. Obviously, the you know the, the big, yeah. the really big pride for me is just watching these two guys doing what they're doing. So that's as important as anything. So I'm very proud of that. I mean, I'd love to put you on the spot. So I know that you spent some time working and teaching in Indigenous communities, and I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, so it wasn't actually um, Indigenous communities, but it was an Indigenous boarding school. So we had kids flying in from over 50 different communities across Queensland and Northern Territory, which, as you can imagine, would lead to, at times, a, a clash between communities, different values and, and um, beliefs for different communities. But there's so many uh, so many highlights. But the main thing that I, if I have to summarise it, would be that the strength they have in their community and the, their ability to support the younger generation. Again, similar to what Life, Life Saving Outdoor have done, the ability of older kids to support the younger um, the younger students coming up and encourage them to, to choose the right options. Was at the school, there was, there was definitely plenty of options that could lead them down the wrong path or behaviours that could lead them down the wrong path. But the older students really trying to invest and invest in their younger the younger community members, yeah, as I said, guide them down the right um, avenues. So probably more outside the classroom than inside the classroom, I suppose. Tell Laura about your programs. Yeah. The AFL program and the life-saving. Like James invested a lot of his own time into creating some really real mm. opportunities for some of these boys. Yeah, sort of what I mentioned um, before. It's been provide opportunities for the students at the school where, um, you know, good opportunities at the school at the time, but just trying to provide more. I mean, I was probably married to the school for a couple of years there in terms of just after doing after-school programs, before-school programs, like some days be at the school. And I know this is probably not not anything different for a maths or English teacher, but I'd be at the school sort of hands-on teaching from like 8 o'clock through to, you know, 8.30 at night I'd be doing a a dorm, dorm supervision or an AFL training out on the oval with the students. So putting in really a lot of time to try and develop and share my passions, which was the great thing about being able to provide them with extracurricular opportunities such as AFL and life-saving. And, Georgie, you worked with him for a little while. So what was your perspective on it all? I'm not going to take any credit for that. James and Dad created this uh, life-saving camp for students from both schools to meet up there and for the boys from James's school, boarding school, to complete uh, a life-saving certificate. And then in the end, they actually brought the boys down to Victoria and they also participated in a lawn camp. It was it was an absolutely amazing experience to be part of, but I did not. These two organised it all and, and I went along and it was um, really probably one of the highlights of my teaching career in watching the development of both groups of students and the learning that took place for both groups of students and probably more so for the Victorian students, the amount that they learnt about Indigenous culture and, and yeah, and values. Kids were, the kids came up and were just looking to soak up anything that they could from um, from the students at at um, at at school up in Queensland, and um, I know that the the students from my school were just just they're just bulging to share the their culture with people. So the work in tandem between the schools was 
was why it worked so well. And probably the relationship between, obviously, a father and son duo doing the cam- doing the camps it probably helps the students to be able to to be able to bond and and break break some barriers down. I suppose is Indigenous culture quite a big part of the curriculum. Uh, it's pretty heavy. It is a huge part of the outdoor ed curriculum. My only, um, not even expertise because I don't have it, but where I kind of fitted into this little puzzle was my interest in Indigenous culture and trying to teach students from our school in Victoria about it and get them interested in in learning more and picture this at the on this camp. We have at the start, you know, kids who could barely even look at each other force we forced them into groups yeah. together and they just they were just so especially um the boys from up north were so shy so yeah they they honestly yeah w- would avoid eye contact and that kind of thing and by the end we had all students dancing singing together do indigenous dance it was just like it's the most heartwarming rewarding thing to to see like there's uh, there's so many other examples to kind It'd of be so great to be able to have a video of them meet when they first met compared to um the final goodbye yeah. but the amount of the, the strength in the relationship that they showed and then to come then come back down to lawn and do the the lawn camp which can be a pretty full-on camp for students from victoria um, that have done mm. life saving for a year for those boys to come down and and do that after coming from communities from you know even Torres Strait Island communities far north Queensland communities like really remote areas and not have ever come down to Victoria at all or probably even been at I think none of them had been out of the state so for them to come down and involve themselves in a life-saving camp and see the shock on their faces when they're jumping in the cold water and and um, getting put on the spot like yeah. every other phone. Trying to, to spending 15 minutes trying to put a wetsuit on. They've never put a wetsuit on before yeah. in their life. They, they, oh. they never use it. They never need no it up there, of course. The water, the water's so yeah, warm. Yeah, yeah. We take the boys down about 15 minutes earlier to get them in their wetsuits, and the only way they'd get them in would be chuck them in the hot shower to put them to get their, to get in their cold wetsuit in the morning. Wow. <laughs> Do you think that that created a real sense of pride in the – the fact that you had invested so much to create this camp and to and to provide these opportunities, do you think that they were really grateful for that? Uh, well, no, I, I can only speak from our point of view. That that you're you're talking from the indigenous kids, aren't you, Laura? Is that right? Both, both. I think it's amazing to even have that sort of exposure because in so from our yeah. kids' point of view, that they, they they were certainly very appreciative and very grateful. By the time they finished, they they totally got it. Our kids did. And totally got it and were just blown away with the whole experience. But, you know, from the far north Queensland kids, I mean, Jimmy's in a way better position to talk about that. Yeah, I suppose with the Indigenous students, a lot of the time it was hard to tell. Although they didn't really show a lot of appreciation verbally or that sort of thing. But I, I invested a lot of time in the relationships at the school. And the the way that you'd see that they were appreciative was just their behaviour when they were around you. Okay. Their behaviour on the camp was pretty much in almost in line with, with yeah. Victorian school, which is just almost un, unheard of okay. from where they come from. They're super hype. A lot, a couple of the boys were very hyperactive. So I'd say that they were super appreciative. And even the, the respect they showed to the staff from the Victorian school was the example of, of them being really appreciative. Yeah. Sorry, just on that one, I, I just think, I think their achievement was 
unbelievable when you think, I mean, not just getting their wetsuits on, but the, where they started with Jimmy, you know, up in FNQ and the, their swimming pool up there. And then they went, we went to the, the, the lagoon and did a whole lot of life-saving stuff there. Then they came back down here and you know, got their wetsuits on, but they ended up getting their surf bronze. I think virtually every one of them got their surf bronze, wow. which is no mean feat. That's a, that's a pretty high level achievement and they got it and they deserved it. And that, that's, to me, it was, is just amazing. And I know the, the life-saving club uh, related to it, that they were wrapped, absolutely wrapped, and they got right around it you know, and sent them back up there with uniforms and so forth. They were so delighted to be part of it. But it's got to be such a rich experience to have Indigenous students there sharing their culture. I mean, that has got to be the most incredible way to learn. Oh, yeah. Right? And to connect with that culture. Yeah. I think that I... I learned yeah. the, like so much through the most I've ever yeah. learned about Indigenous culture through the, these experiences. I am so personally grateful for being part of it. I went twice, two years in a row, and, yeah, in, incredible. I hope we, yeah. we plan to continue it. It's just that this yeah, year I'm with COVID. We're supposed to be able to get yeah. a couple yeah. away this year for two-way camp again, but hopefully um, hopefully next year with, with restrictions even easing. We can. So, Georgia, you talked about before in terms of being proud about your scores, and I do need to say that outdoor ed, when it's in year 12, I mean, majority of kids get close to that top 10% of scores, like in the 40s. Why do you think the subject performs so well? I think there's a lot of contributing factors to it, but one that we've already touched on is the fact that that they're in Outdoor Ed for really three years and we've built up these relationships with them over that time and by the time they get to Year 12, they get it. They've seen other students work their way through and and then they've seen them succeed and do so well and it becomes for current students something that's not so out of reach um, it's something that is achievable mm. and they connect to it in that way. They also connect to each other as in they they work together as a team and they work with the staff at, um, in that way as well. And so that aspect of it really helps those, I think, the higher marks. I'm always encouraging students to work together and uh, the yeah. better they all do, uh, each do individually. And also these guys in year 12 outdoor ed they're actually yeah. year 11 students so there's a whole class of year 11 students and they've got they've, they're focused i'm drilling into them you're focusing mm-hmm. on one subject you know and and they do they really focus on it and so yeah it, it's a lot of extra work in terms of getting a year 11 student ready for a year 12 subject they don't they've never sat exams before and they're more anxious about that mm-hmm. and they don't really get how to study and revise so I do a lot of work on that mm. stuff, but um, yeah, it, I think that it, it definitely helps. Yeah. What is a credit to you guys? Though? Yeah, I was just going yeah. to say, going on from what Georgia said, and, and I, I think as a faculty, and Georgia mentioned before, that we are all working together. I know when I was, you know, if I'll be teaching uh, units one and two or, or middle school, or whatever, you'll be constantly talking to Georgia, who's at the top end. And you'll be saying, mm-hmm. what do you want us? What do you want us to cover? What do you want us to do that's going to make your job easier and better when these kids get to you? And, and, you know, it might be, you know, just make them bomb-proof with cooking. It, it, it might mean we talk about relationships, you know, environmental relationships. W- whatever it is, uh, you know, we, we can bring that down the line so that it makes her job so she has more and more opportunity to do the stuff that's probably more important at that higher end. And 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 we've even got to the point, I know, in, in say, in, in thinking, how can we push it further down the line? We were even teaching 
some outdoor ready stuff in Sport Ed. So they brought it right back down to year eight, which essentially mm. gives us a, like a four-year journey. And it can be just simple yeah. stuff there. We we even did some cooking with them. We we're doing some rope knots and so forth. We're a subject, you know, called rock climbing. We were able to push other things in there, things that you you, you could be doing further up the line, but we've dragged it further down, which means you get a, a four-year connection then with those kids. It makes it even more powerful yeah. again. Yeah. Do you have anything to add, Jimmy? The reason Georgia can get such good results is probably just a credit to the way that she can create relationships with students. You go into her classroom, just observing a couple of her classes and the students are pretty much just hanging off every word that she's saying. And that's probably a little bit in respect to get it, get, having that deeper level of relationship by getting to go into getting to go on camps with them, with her. But obviously is another level being able to bring them back into yeah. being invested when they come back to the classroom and yeah. they're certainly invested there in Georgia's classroom. Yeah. Georgia, we've spoken before about the idea of especially teaching VC. When I went on mat leave, I was teaching year 12 English and year 12 biology and you've taught, you've got a, a lot of pressure on you as the sole year 12 outdoor ed teacher and you've also taught year 12 psych as well. How has it been managing stress and responsibility? And, I mean, Ro, you might even jump in in terms of seeing how that shifted and how we've, as teachers, had to take on so much more and potentially experience burnout and, and stress. Yeah, I, I haven't got the answers because I definitely was at a point after about six years where I was ready to at least go part-time. And yes, I didn't have a work-life balance and I'm still now trying to work that out. Mm. And going back to work now after maternity leave with two little kids, I have to work it out differently and and, and I'm looking for the answers, I, I guess, because um, I'm going back into teaching year 12, yeah, which is, yeah, going to be hard and it's hard to, to manage it. I guess I did learn as I got a little bit, bit older to say no a bit more and yeah. to turn off my phones, uh, email connection and um, that kind of thing. But my first couple of years, if an email came through at 10 o'clock at night, I'd just answer it because I thought, well, at least I have to answer that in the morning. And, yeah, yeah, I, yeah I've, I've been there and I'm still trying to navigate my, my way through it. Yeah. What do you think, Ro? Well, I, I, 100%. I see it happening and I, I, I see it particularly with a really young, energetic VCE yeah. teacher. And you have, I mean, George is alluding to you, yeah, you do need to say no. You just got to actually cut a lot of the, what you call it fluffy stuff, but cut a lot of the stuff that you don't really have to do out. You've just got to, spe- I guess, specialise a bit more in the stuff you really like and say, as George has said, say no. You know, like I, I know personally, because I knew I was out of the school a lot. I'm not, I haven't, I haven't had that burnout like that, but you just got out of the school. So I don't need to be, I didn't want to be out of the school anymore. So I wouldn't take, even though I'm a PE teacher, I'd just say no to every, if it, if it was a year level camp, I'd just say no. If it was a sporting team, I'd say no. And, and you just got to say no to all that stuff, even though you think, I wouldn't mind doing it. It's just not worth it. They're, they're the little one percenters or whatever, you just got to take a full advantage of them and people understand it pretty quickly that you just, you really just haven't got time. So I guess it's sort of specialising a little bit more in, 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 in what you're really going to do and, and saying no. You know what another key, a key thing about teacher burnout and just maintaining a bit of a work-life balance is surrounding yourself with older role models, people who, who have little bits of advice and people who are going to tell you to just not worry about it. And I was lucky because I had dad and I had other uh, senior teachers around me and, and I was told 
often to just forget about it or and especially as well like as a younger teacher you're kind of also thinking you think more about the um you know what kids are thinking about you or or your classes or whatever and so there's those stresses as well you know mm. but yeah i think that a key way to deal with it and to help is to have those yeah more experienced teachers around you do you feel jimmy that you were able to say no to things like your fourth year new, newer to the school do you feel as though you're quite confident saying no if asked to do things I'd, I'd say I'm definitely more confident saying no down here than I would have been in North yeah, Queensland. Okay. What I was doing up there was definitely not sustainable and it's probably one of the reasons why I came I came back down here in terms of being able to achieve that work-life work life balance. I'm probably not good. I'm probably not great at it. Mm. I end up saying yes a lot. <laughs> yes, ma'am. But, yeah. um, I mean, that, that yeah. at times that's sort of your role. I see it as your role a little bit. As a, as a younger teacher as well. I was the same. I felt like it was my role. I felt it was my responsibility. I was young. I didn't have a family. I was energetic, all of that. I would say yes. But then what happened is then I was known for saying yes. Right. And so people would continue to ask and ask and ask. And then what I would find is I would then find it really difficult to say no. And so for me, what I would lose is the social element of school. And that's what I've now coming back in, you know, doing emergency teaching and things. That's what I realized I was really lacking because I would say yes to all these things and I wouldn't have enough time in the day. So I would work through my lunch. I would sit at my desk. I wouldn't socialize because I didn't feel I had the time. And then when I got home, I was just so exhausted that if there were social things on with staff, I just didn't go because I was so tired. And I think that for me, was such a shame in the end that I chose that path. Yeah, I'd say I'm lucky at the, the school I'm at the moment where there is there is a bunch of young staff. So we're all on the same page in terms of we want to invest our time in the school, mm. but we've also got that balance where we're doing things together and we can lean on it each other. It is very unique at the bit. moment that there is that. That's great. There is a lot of young staff and you're lucky. I was the only graduate teacher the year I started, so it's hard. Yeah. Yeah, it certainly makes it easier, I think, just being out of balance. I suppose that gives you the chance to, to balance and, as I said, yeah, lean on each other a little bit. You do this for a work workmate and, and they'll do this this little thing for you as well. Just um, happened to me this afternoon getting one of the um, IT men to do my printing. So it's certainly a big, it's certainly a big help for me. It probably saved me about an hour. <laughs> but is, isn't there in this conversation there's also that it's element awesome. as well, which is a hard one, but it is if you haven't got an ongoing contract, then you are going to be more likely to say yes. Yeah, you're only on a year's contract. You're trying to keep a job. Yeah, you're going to say yes. You're going to do whatever it takes. So there's that. It's hard. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Mm. No, I think you're you're 100% on the line. I do feel sorry for the mm. poor graduates. You know, they're just being worked over because they can't say no, really, or they don't get it. They won't get a you know ongoing. So there is that part of it. And and you and Jimmy's right. When you are young, there, there is a point there where you have got a lot of. I mean, I remember in my first couple of years too. You just said yes to everything, but you didn't mind it because you you did actually have a lot more energy. Yeah, I suppose you do. You have actually got more energy. I know. And you just got to as you get older, you just got to yeah. measure. You got to be measured in in the way you approach stuff. You end up with a better outcome, I guess, in the end. And you're a long termer. You've got to measure yourself a bit. Yeah, I certainly feel that young teachers, they do have that, well, they can at times have that extra little bit of extra bit of energy or enthusiasm and while you're young, you may as well use it. And George has obviously got yeah. great results from her hard work ethic in her first couple of years and I believe that I probably did as well in my first couple of years teaching in, in um, North Queensland when I it did invest myself so much. It's probably when I got the greater rewards. So 
there is a little bit of to and fro but that goes with it as well. It is. The more you put in, the more you get out. So that's a key thing too. Like you, yeah. you want your yeah. job to be rewarding, so you, you have to work for that. But the challenge is, ultimately though, the, the challenge is to be smarter and, and try and get those those same results mm. with, with less effort. And that, that is the challenge to the whole, <laughs> yeah. the whole game. That's the challenge to the whole game. But yeah. you know what? You I'm us? sure that Georgia is working that out right now. How do you do that, bro? Yeah. What's your space, do do Georgia? We'll work it out. I, I you, work, you will I, work it out, Georgia. I'd like to see Laura work it and out. Laura, tell, Laura tell could me, have the answers, actually. Yes. Oh, I've got no idea. I've got no You know what I will say, though, and I've learned this from the amount of conversations I've had is shifting the way that I'm going to give feedback. feedback. That's a big one. I think we, well, especially for English teachers, yeah. writing all over an essay, they, yeah. yeah, when they don't yeah. even read it and that's I'm a whole weekend gone and they don't even care. Yeah, that's that true. just seems like a stupid thing to do. So things like that's the one thing I'm like, I'm going to be smarter. I'm yeah. actually going to speak to the kids and ask them how they'd prefer yeah. to actually get feedback, what's yeah, good, the most good. productive. And if it's a five-minute conversation, yeah. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Then spend 20 minutes r- uh, writing all over an essay that they don't read. You nailed that one. There you go. See, you've got to ask Laura. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell us more. Yeah. One. <laughs> Don't ask me anymore, though. Don't ask me anymore. <laughs> the last thing I wanted to ask all of you is what are some of the greatest lessons you've ever learned? It doesn't have to be school-related. It can be anything. The greatest lessons? Dad, you're the oldest. No, that's, what lessons not necessarily have you learned? Less, what lessons? Oh, you, you start this one, Georgia. Okay. I'm, I'm still learning this lesson, but one of my greatest lessons um, would be patience. I'm learning to be more patient. I have always been, I want immediate gratification for whatever I'm working on. And and I guess having kids has kind of taught me a little bit about patience. But, yeah. All right. I've got a lot of life lessons. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I'll go through a few lessons, I guess. But I want, you know, one is just not to overrate your importance. Sometimes you think you're just, you're, you're, you're indispensable and you're not you're we're, we're uh, so i think you can typically overrate yourself you overrate your importance but you are just a small cog in you know in a sort of big educational are you saying that in terms of your re- retirement day are you feeling no like just no i'm not i just think sometimes like we get a bit carried now. away with just how important we are we just need to just just life will go on but the but the but with that is that you can make a big difference so you see that's there's a bit of a bit of yin and yang there yeah. And the other thing I would say, the other lesson I would say is, is you dare to dream. I think you need to dare to dream. But if the dream's not working, move on, move on. <laughs> don't, don't keep flogging a dead a dream that's not working. Okay, so have the big dream, but don't be too, don't hold on to it too tight. I didn't quite get, didn't get. <laughs> you have your dreams, but if you don't achieve them, stuff it. <laughs> yeah, well, you just got to either modify it or move on, though. But don't just keep going on this dream that's not going to work out. All right, that's all. Okay. Short and sweet. What about you, Jimmy? Well, I'm a pretty simple man. So one of my uh, lessons, I suppose, would be just to try not to overcomplicate things. That's pretty pretty much it, (laughs) just in general. So you've learned that lesson or you tried just not to overcomplicate things? I've I've learned that lesson in terms of teaching, in terms of just everyday everyday life, I suppose, and um, just trying to take the little, just trying to break it apart and, and make it as simple as possible. I was going to say, you have actually learnt that lesson because I've watched you teach and you're, the way you teach now, if compared to when you first started, you give such small instructions, such simple, short, sharp, to the point, done. And the message is across. 
Yeah. Well, that's been from uh, from uh, senior teachers, I'd say, learning that lesson. Well, it is true. In, in, in fact, you don't need to talk a lot. I mean, you try to minimise your speech and you can do that with gestures, uh, facial expressions, but I just think you need to minimise what you say. And what Jimmy said, keep it simple and you'll be surprised the extra bits you can give in, give or provide with the other parts, you know, whether it be your gestures, the way you move or whatever. So 100% Jimmy boy. And, and I might say that is the art form that Georgia has worked out quite well. And I, I noticed having listened to her a lot to her outdoor ed VCE stuff, that the, the secret to good teaching is, a, is what we call dumbing it down. And, and Georgia, I'm not saying she dumbs it down, but she simplifies it. Uh-huh. Right? And that's, and that's, that is the secret to break it down so make it seem simple, which it can be. It doesn't need to be complicated. Don't make a huge science of it. And I think we're all in agreement on that. I think too, I was speaking to someone the other day about the fact that I don't think really smart people or people that have always found learning easy necessarily make great teachers. Because I think if you don't understand the challenge, you don't understand the struggle and you don't have strategies to offer, then you can't speak at the level that everybody within the classroom needs. Yeah. Nailed that one. Yeah, no, good. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) well i'd like to say thank you so much for all being here and it's so lovely to hear you speak so highly of one another if one person is underselling themselves the other person jumps in and says hey hey you know you need to bring this up so (laughs) thank you so much for giving me all your time it's been a pleasure no worries laura laura you're a very very good listener and a good contributor and a good contributor as well (laughs) 